Hello everyone, and welcome to Walking with the Tengu, a podcast exploring classic texts for the modern martial artist. Today we're going to start in on the fourth and final chapter of the 18th century work Tengu Geijutsu Ron, the Tengu Sermon on the Martial Arts by Isai Chozanshi. As a reminder, it can be difficult to translate and interpret classic works, particularly through the bias of the modern mind. So please remember that this is just my own interpretation of the work. Your own reading of it may be different. Heck, the author's original intent may have been very different from how I'm reading it, too. But I'm going to do my best based on my knowledge, training, and experience, and I have been consulting with subject matter experts where appropriate, so hopefully I won't muck things up too terribly bad. Chapter 4 jumps right into it with a Tengu asking the big smarty pants Tengu about which spear is best, and after listing a bunch of different kinds of spears, the smart Tengu responds. How can you ask such a stupid question? The spear is a weapon for thrusting, and complete freedom in thrusting is within yourself, not the instrument. He goes on to describe some of the different styles of spears and then says, Nowadays, if a person who studies one of these styles practices with his instrument from the beginning, he will be more skillful with that instrument than with others, and will have an abundance of advantages in using it, becoming accomplished and reaching the point where he has grasped things on his own, even the staff he holds can become a spear for him. The smart Tengu goes on to describe how schools will train a person in the use of their weapon of choice, and then teach them ways to defeat the weapons of their opponent's styles. He says that this is natural, as there would be no benefit to carrying their weapon of choice if they didn't explore these options. But that if you then restrict yourself to the basics of your art, as if they were the deepest understanding, then you would be greatly mistaken. You have to be able to think outside the box, though Chozanshi doesn't use that terminology here. He does say that you have to master the basics of your art and then be able to apply the principles of your art in other non-standard situations and scenarios. What this means is that you have to explore both the strengths and weaknesses in your own art and in any skill sets you anticipate having to face with your art. This reminds me a lot of the keyboard warriors who argue over which martial arts style is best, or one of the other so-called holy wars. This could be anything, but some examples would be things like whether a katana is better than some other sword, whether Bruce Lee would have been any good in MMA, which firearm is best. Everything has its zealots, and it appears it was no different back in Chosanshi's day either. The Tengu's immediate response is to call out the idea that any one tool is better than another. It's not the weapon that matters, it is the hand that wields it. What Chosanshi is saying through the mouth of the Tengu is that everything has its benefits and drawbacks. What matters is that you are aware of these traits in your chosen style or tool and commit yourself to the serious training of it. It doesn't matter what weapon you train in as much as it does your seriousness in training. So much so that in the hands of a serious spear fighter, even a short staff becomes a kind of spear. When talking about all this with a friend, he reminded me of the statement from Hoplology, one mind, any weapon. The point being, when asking the question which is best, be it for styles or weapons, if you're honest about why you are training and what problems you intend to address with your choice, then the answer is, 
the one you consistently train with. Now, Shozanshi gets into something a little different. He gives a detailed description of a method of settling your so-called chi. Through my modern ears, it sounds a heck of a lot like Shavasana, also called corpse pose, which is a typical ending to a yoga practice. It's meditative in nature, and Shazanshi's description would probably sound pretty familiar to anyone who's done yoga, minus his talk of chi. However, despite all this, he lays the groundwork for talking about being aware of one's posture, and this can get pretty interesting, because human posture is just as important today for the martial arts as it has been in any time period. I listened to a podcast called BJJ Mental Models, where the Quan brothers talk about all the mental aspects that goes into understanding and enhancing one's training in the principles of combative grappling. In their first episode, they break down the most generic approach to grappling as being a conflict over alignment. They then go on to define alignment as consisting of posture, that is the spine, structure, these are your other skeletal pieces, and then base, which is a platform to absorb or generate force. As a side note, I highly recommend listening specifically to their first episode for a lot more detail on these concepts, which really apply to any martial art. But these postural concepts can really apply to any martial art, which is why I bring it up. On this topic, then, the Tengu continued. Again, look at someone who is walking, because most people are usually more conscious of the upper parts of their bodies. They walk counterpoise to their heads, while others walk moving their arms or entire bodies. A person who walks well does not move his body from his waist up, but rather walks with his legs. Thus, his body is serene, his internal organs are not stressed, and he is not worn out. You should observe the manner in which men carry heavy loads. Thousands of years ago, we shifted from a hunter-gatherer society to one that farms. This fundamentally changed the way we used our bodies. It required us to use our bodies in a very different way than when we hunted, and with that came civilization as we know it. In order for our bodies to survive this shift towards back-breaking work, we had to learn to use our bodies more efficiently. Ellis Amder writes about this shift in the first chapter of his book, Hidden in Plain Sight. You can find a link to this book in the show notes. He says, A farmer or a laborer, at least one with his or her feet actually in the ground, found the line within each movement to save the most energy while exerting the perfect amount of force necessary to best accomplish each specific task. And skipping a little bit ahead here. A life in the fields developed farmer's strength, farmer's endurance, and farmer's efficiency. A life as a laborer built the same. End quote. And this is what Chozanshi is referring to when he says you should observe the manner in which men carry heavy loads. The laborers of Chozanshi's day had to deal with loads of many different sizes, weights, and had to carry or move them using a variety of different postures, very different from modern-day weightlifting. Chozanshi likely saw them on a daily basis and knew that there was something to the way they used their bodies. As an example, Kimura Masahiko, the famous judoka who defeated Helio Gracie with a Gyaku Uregarami and was immortalized in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu with the same move being renamed the Kimura submission, grew up as the son of a lotus root farmer. As a child, he developed this aforementioned farmer's strength through the repeated pulling of long tubers from the mud as he was immersed up to his hips. 
Numerous other examples exist of farmers and laborers having a natural strength and skill with their bodies all over the world, who end up famous for their boxing or wrestling exploits. Moving on, the Tengu continues, When a person who is walking while carrying a sword or halberd has distorted chi, he will not be able to move along with his feet, and he will damage his body as his arms move about along with his head. His chi will move, but his mind will not be at peace. With a sword, the right hand is forward. With a spear, the left. When a person is standing, the foot will lead off. The foot that will lead off is enlivened. End quote. If you've never trained with a Japanese sword, there is a way to wear it belted to the left hip, the tsuka, or handle, pointing off to your forward right diagonal. To aim the sword at your opponent while still sheathed, you move your right foot forward, pointing the end of the handle towards your opponent. Naturally, this isn't the only way to do things, but in my experience has been a fairly consistent method of drawing the sword amongst the Japanese sword styles I've trained or been exposed to. This is what Shizanshi is referencing. The foot that is forward is the one that is enlivened. Thus, your stance, your posture, has an impact on your ability to move your body. So, if we're not a farmer or a laborer, and developing efficient posture and strength is important, what are we to do? Shizanshi says, you should constantly train yourself in all things and make great efforts, whether walking, sitting, sleeping, or while in contact with other people. End quote. We can find ways to train things throughout our day. Our grip, posture, balance can all be improved in the simple, small tasks we have all around us. Find a better way, a more efficient way to do them and practice in such a way that everything becomes training. It might sound silly, but if you can brush your teeth in a way that builds strength, or if you can walk upstairs in a way that trains your balance, then you will eventually find greater strides in your development than if you had wasted such moments away. Jazanshi provides us with more examples, specifically no dancers and people who play kemari, a kind of ball game popular in Jazanshi's day. We need look no further than our own ball games and dancers to see efficiency in postures and motions that we can incorporate into our own training. In Shizashi's day, he focused on the proper use of one's lower body. Now, perhaps you've heard of how people walk around with the mind and breath in their upper bodies, and that this has a negative effect not only on our posture, but also our breathing. In both the case of the no dancers and the Kimari players, he calls our attention to the way they walk. How the dancers walk allows them the freedom in using their feet. Thus, their balance and composure is so solid that he says that the no dancer... Quote, will not stumble and fall even when struck from behind, end quote. And actually, another quote, when he moves, the lower half of his body is settled and heavy, while the upper half is light. He is in perfect balance, and he speaks breathing from his lower abdomen. When an unskillful man dances, he will stumble and fall over the slightest obstruction. This is because he is light and unsettled below the waist, and his chi is distorted and lacking life. He breathes from above the chest, is lightheaded, and empty below. Chojanshi's advice, while worded differently, could fit into just about any modern office ergonomics recommendation. Coming back to the Tengu, they bring this all together by saying, These things are endless. When you try fixing your mind on the places you contact with your eyes and ears, you'll find that everything between heaven and earth can become the seed of some resourcefulness. There is nothing under heaven that cannot be said to be your teacher. Everything is important to you so search it out. When there is absolutely nothing important enough for you to search out, 
there will be nothing left for you to receive from mankind. End quote. We can constantly be learning from everything around us. As much as I've suggested ways for you to do this outside of class, I suggest also that there may be places in class that we are underutilizing for our training. Even when you train with those who you don't consider to be as smart or skilled as you, the sum of two people training together is still more than either on their own, even when one person is dramatically better than the other. Do you find yourself training with lower-skilled people and resenting it? You shouldn't. Even they are better than you in some aspect, even if you tend to overwhelm them. We speak of having a beginner's mind as a method of ensuring efficiency in our training. Who better to help rejuvenate our own beginner's mind than an actual beginner approaching our, your training with fresh eyes for the first time? Finishing out this section, the Tengu says, There were many famous generals in the past who paid great attention to the works of rustic people and, seeing in them the seeds of strategies, performed meritorious deeds and this is not limited to things military, if you constantly fix your mind on all the 10,000 things in this world, you will gain great benefits. If you are stubborn and empty-headed, you will be no different than a corpse. Whatever there is to gain, you will not be able to grasp it. End quote. Again, we are brought back to the idea of looking at the people who have to perform backbreaking work to survive. Since it's a matter of survival, they have found better, more efficient ways to perform their labor, or else they die of injury, sickness, or exhaustion. Bailing hay is a great example, though one I suspect that fewer and fewer, fewer people are familiar with. In some rural communities, you can still find competitions around the skills needed to farm. Bailing hay is one such activity. Most cultural folk festivals have local representations of a mixture of these practices often combining domestic and vaguely combative skills. The Scottish caber toss that is throwing a log is one. The line between efficient use of one's body for work can then be exhibited through competition, and this same strong efficient use of one's body can be applied to the skills of conflict. Taking this a step further, though, perhaps the classic example is the original historical Greek Olympics. Each event was a legitimate practical skill needed in battle. The pole vault, marathon races, and wrestling were ideally all practical combative skills for their time. Chizanshi ends with a warning, though. If we are too dense, stubborn, and empty-headed to find these lessons both in nature, among laborers, and hidden away in all sorts of nooks and crannies all around us, as he says, you will be no different than a corpse. Unable to even reach out and grasp the training and lessons, right in front of you. Alright, that's all for today. Make sure to subscribe, leave a review or a rating wherever you find your podcasts so as to help the show reach more people like yourself. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you'd like to hear more, go to patreon.com slash walkingtengu to help cover the cost of making this podcast. Even the smallest amount helps. Thank you for listening, and talk to you again soon.